Hey guys, there's a new segment at the end of every episode where I listen to your voicemails, voice memos, and read your emails and reviews. It's called Dear Gabby. You can send in an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or you can call in 844-474-4040. This week, I am going to be reading a listener email about something you really need to know about student loans. Also going to be listening to a voicemail about unemployment taxes and something really, really important that you need to keep in mind when getting unemployment and worrying about it being taxed. And we're also going to be talking to someone who prioritized savings during this time of COVID and what that meant for her future. So stick around to the end of the show and you'll get to hear from people like you. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. You'd think during a global pandemic, we'd find some way to alleviate the stress of the U.S. population paying back student loan debt. And we did find some ways. The CARES Act, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, for one. But in my opinion, we did not find enough ways. Like most money things, even ones designed to be helpful... It was all very confusing. Are student loan payments suspended during COVID? Does that include interest? What does that mean for when the pandemic is over? How does forgiveness work now? Should my stimulus check go toward paying off student debt? What if I simply cannot pay right now? And probably will not be able to pay in the future since suspended does not mean canceled. My guest this week is Melissa Buta of YourMoneyWorth.com. Melissa is a certified financial education instructor, money coach, and the author of the book, Student Loan Answers. Melissa is an expert on student loans through certification and also her own story of paying off nearly 70k in student debt. I wanted to have her on because, as someone from the Caribbean, she has an outside view on the ways the U.S. handles student loans. Her work is often focused on helping Caribbean millennials handle their student loan debt, but here we talk about broad and general student loan, well, student loan answers. What does Melissa recommend for people drowning in student loans at this harrowing time? What are the most common mistakes? What do many people fail to take advantage of when it comes to forgiveness? And what the heck are we going to do when the payments are expected to start back up again? Hello, Melissa. Can you tell my audience who you are and what you do? My name is Melissa Buta. I'm the founder of YourMoneyWorth.com that focuses on personal finance for millennials, particularly those with student loan debt, both here in the U.S. and in the Caribbean. I'm a student loan expert and I help student loan borrowers figure out a way to manage and pay off or get their student loans forgiven. So what has been going on with student loans during COVID and how quickly did that change? So of course, so many things changed with COVID and student loans, actually, the balances grew during the pandemic and almost doubled. And that was because as people lost their jobs, 
And Congress and the president addressed that by pausing payments and interest on all federally backed student loans owned by the federal government, which, by the way, the federal government owns most of the $1.57 trillion in student loan debt here in the U.S., the loan balances increase due to the pandemic. The upside of that for borrowers is that they did get relief from their student loan payments and interest that would usually accrue when you get a forbearance or deferment on your student loans. This allowed those losing their jobs and in some instances, some of their income or all of their income to redirect those payments to the essentials. And of course, that's what uh, most people have been focusing on during the pandemic, their health and making sure that they can get their housing, food and their essential covered for themselves and their families. So people were able to defer the loans without interest? That's correct. And actually for student loan borrowers with federal student loans that are owned by the federal government, they did not actually have to request that pause on payments or interest. It was done automatically. However, there is a little wrinkle there where the federal government has, I guess, a mix of different types of student loans. So before the Obama administration, student loans were actually owned by banks or some of the federal-backed student loans were owned by banks. So those borrowers who have student loans owned by banks, it was not automatic, but they did have access to it by calling their student loan servicer to request the pause. And what about for private student loans? So private student loans, the CARES Act that did provide the pause on student loan payments and interest only applied to federal student loans. Private student loan lenders are offering their own types of deferral and relief. Um, Some of them offer relief in terms of allowing you not to make payments for a certain period of time. Some of them are offering some breaks on interest, allowing you to pause your payments and extend how long you have to repay the student loan so that, you know, once we come out of the pandemic, your payments may be able to be lower. However, the private student loan lenders do not provide automatic pause on payments or interest payments. So you would have to call in and like, what would the step be? Yes. So for private student loans and actually for student loans that are federal but owned by private banks, you have to actually call the student loan servicer. So this is the company that sends you those bills. You get their phone number from any statement or recent communication you have had with them. And you call and you explain your situation and ask what are your repayment options or options to pause your payments based on your situation. I think there's a lot of people who the idea of calling is terrifying. (laughs) What do you (laughs) say to people for whom that is the case? So that's actually something that I think is almost universal when dealing with the scary thought of trying to manage or contact your servicer. So what I would say is what can be helpful is to kind of do your research before you call your student loan servicer. So all services have information on their website about what the options are. So taking a look at that so you understand before you speak to the the representative, you have an idea of what you're asking for. This can trip up a lot of borrowers when they call the student loan servicer and maybe they're not quite sure of what they're asking for. They may ask for a pause where a pause on payments may only apply to federal student loans, but they're talking to a customer service representative at their private lender, and the answer might just be, no, we don't have a pause. 
So then you may end up not getting a resolution or getting a forbearance on your student loans because you don't know what the right term is that your private lender is using. So going to their website, figuring out what the options are so that when you call, you feel confident that I know exactly what I'm asking for. I went on the website. It said I can ask for something called a forbearance where I won't have to make payments. So when you call, you can rest assured that you know what to ask for. Can you explain what the difference between a private loan, a federal loan, and then a a federal loan that is backed by a private bank? So I'll start with a private loan. A private loan is a student loan that you got through a private bank. It is not associated with the federal government. And whatever terms of the loan you signed up for is determined by the promissory note you signed with that lender. So the interest rate, what the payments are going to be, whether you can pause payments or get a forbearance, it's totally up to that private bank or lending institution. For federal student loans, the federal government is the one who provides the student loan to the student loan borrower, whether they are an undergraduate, a graduate student, or even parents who sign up for federally backed student loans from the federal government. Now, under that umbrella of federal student loans, there are two types of programs where the federal government provided the money to the borrower. However, it was through a private bank that manages the loans on behalf of the federal government. So those are the federally backed bank-owned student loans. And then there's another program called the Direct Student Loan Program, which was created under the Obama administration, where the administration said, instead of giving these private banks these federal loans to manage, we, the federal government, are going to issue the loans directly to the borrowers. We are going to keep ownership of them, and we are just going to allow them to be managed by student loan services, but we retain ownership of them. And all of those sort of had different responses to the pandemic? That's correct. For the private lenders, they came up with their own options. You were not automatically enrolled as a borrower. And then for the federal government, the direct loans received the automatic pause of interest and payments. However, the federally backed bank-owned student loans, you were eligible for forbearance. However, you had to call to enroll in it. And this is one of the issues where borrowers may not know what type of federal student loan they have. So they might have seen a news article that said, hey, all student loans that are from the federal government, all federal student loans are paused, there are no interest payments. And then they may get a bill in the mail and say, well, I don't have to pay attention to this. However, because their loan is owned by a private bank, even though it is a federal loan, their loan may not well, would not have gone into the automatic pause of payments and interest. So in terms of pausing interest and payments, once that becomes unpaused, it's the same amount, right? Or is it is it back interest? You know, I think people have been viewing it as like, and those payments are done when it's like, no, now the payments will resume regular. So it becomes a little tricky here. Yeah. For student loans that are federally owned and direct federal loans, the payments that you were not making during the pause period, which is scheduled to end in September of this year, those payments or non-payments actually will count as payments when you are looking at getting credit for loan forgiveness 
And because no interest builds up during that time, the federal government has, has made the interest zero. There's no interest that's building up during that time. So once the pause is over, there's no interest that are going to be added to those direct federal student loans. And there's no back interest. Now, when it comes to the bank-owned federal student loans, some of those loans actually will accrue interest for this year because the extension that was done by the federal government did not include 0% interest on those bank-owned federal loans. So in those types of loans, when the pause is over, your monthly payment may change or the interest may be added to your student loan balance at that time. And this is where you have to keep in contact with your servicer coming up to the end to figure out what is going to happen to those student loans, what's going to happen to the interest, and how the payments may change. So when did this start and when is it expected to end? They started the pause March of last year, 2020, and it's expected to end in September 2021, so of this year. As a student loan expert, were you watching all of this happen, thinking that this is the best that could have been done? Do you think that there could have been more done? Do you think it should be extended? So there's, those are a lot of questions in there. So (laughs) (laughs) I will start with what was done and is it enough? So pausing the student loan payments and making them count towards any forgiveness that borrowers were working on and also extending that pause two defaulted loans, I think was a wonderful idea. In addition to the 0% interest, because interest is really what makes borrowers' student loans grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. So that was great. What could have been done better is to extend that automatic enrollment and 0% interest to the bank-owned federal student loans. And as part of the different stimulus packages, I think more could have been done to assist borrowers with private student loans, whether that would mean providing funds to pay the interest on private student loans, especially for for lower income borrowers or borrowers who have lost their income, that could have been something to consider. And do you think it should have been extended? So I think based on whether the economy improves or, you know, the pandemic is under control, Congress, the president, the powers that be would have to make that decision. I think that should rest with them. But what I would like to pose instead is what should be done, in my opinion, is to take the opportunity to make some structural changes to the student loan system that we don't have to wait until a pandemic comes or some other economic crisis to make these temporary relief options. What sort of relief options are you talking about? So currently, there are certain relief or payment options to ease the burden of student loans that are already existing for federal student loans specifically. So there is the Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program, where um, public service workers, teachers, persons working for the federal, local governments or state governments, working for nonprofits in social work and so on, um, can make payments for 10 years and get their loans forgiven. As of March of last year, less than 1% of borrowers who were in the public service loan forgiveness program and who had been enrolled for 10 years were approved for this forgiveness. There's also another loan cancellation program where borrowers who enroll in an income-based or income-driven repayment 
can get their loans cancelled after 20 or 25 years. There's also another student loan forgiveness program for federal student loans where borrowers can enroll in an income-driven repayment plan that lowers their payments based on their income. And after 20 to 25 years of payments, their loans can get cancelled. As of this month, March 2021, borrowers who have been making payments for 20 years, only 32 have received that loan cancellation. So the federal government can make those programs work better so that there's access to relief that is not temporary. Why is it such a low percentage of people being approved? So I'll start with the public student loan forgiveness. The public student loan forgiveness program was created under the Obama administration. When it was first created, there was little guidance and little information to borrowers on what loans are actually eligible. So we spoke earlier about the different types of student loan programs where there are federal student loans owned by banks and federal student loans owned directly by the federal government, direct student loans. So for the public student loan forgiveness program, when it was created, there was little guidance on the details. And the details state that you have to have federally owned direct loans and make payments on those loans for 10 years in order to access the public student loan forgiveness. Mm. Most borrowers who may have been eligible for public student loan forgiveness, so working for a nonprofit or government agency, having federal student loans and making payments, a lot of those borrowers had bank-owned federal student loans. The services that they had to interact with to enroll in the program to make sure that they're making payments that count also didn't have a good handle on communicating whether the student loans that the public student loan forgiveness borrower had was eligible. So what happened is they made payments for 10 years and their loans didn't check off all the boxes for them to get the forgiveness. Oh my God. There's so little communication. Yes. It's a very confusing process for a borrower accessing those programs. Now for the other loan cancellation programs where you enroll in an income-driven repayment. You don't have. You can have any type of employment. It doesn't have to be public service. In order for your payments to count towards the forgiveness after 20 to 25 years, you have to stay enrolled in the income-driven repayment program. And in order for you to stay enrolled in the income-driven repayment program and make all your payments count over 20 years, you have to recertify your income 20 times. So every year you have to be certified on time. And if you call your student loan servicer, for example, and you may have missed the deadline to recertify for three months, then those three months won't count towards the forgiveness. It's just a very high bar for borrowers to meet. And I would also say that waiting for forgiveness for 25 years after trying to jump through all the hoops is very difficult for borrowers to meet, especially when they're raising families, having life events that may cause them not to stay on top of these different enrollments that they need to stay in on time. And to me, one of the solutions here is giving forgiveness gradually. So every year that you make the payments and you're enrolled in the right repayment program, a percentage of that loan can be forgiven so that you don't reach at the end of 20 years and all these different factors come into play where you don't access any forgiveness at all. Especially when you're expecting to. 
Yes, and over those 10 years, one feature of an income-driven repayment is that a lot of the loan balances actually increase over time. So it's almost like you're putting yourself in a worse financial position at the end of the 10 years when you follow what you thought were the right steps to get the forgiveness. And here you are 10 years later with a, a loan balance that may have doubled. What is the point? Is the point to trick people? I feel like this is on purpose. You were saying that there are things that could be done to make things easier. And I feel like they just don't want to because it's it's working. <laughs> My personal opinion, not having any evidence, is that the way that the loan forgiveness or income-driven repayment plans are set up currently is to minimize how many people can actually successfully access them and benefit from them. And when Congress put these programs in place, the stated goal was to provide relief, to provide a way out of crushing debt for student loan borrowers, federal student loan borrowers specifically, which makes sense because most federal student loans are owned by the federal government. In the meantime, what is happening is that borrowers are not getting the right information, borrowers are falling into default, most of the defaulted federal student loans are low-income borrowers who, by the way, are probably eligible for zero-dollar payments based on their income, but because there are so many hurdles and misinformation, they cannot access that income-based repayment that would actually help them. So they're ending up in default, getting their tax returns garnished, and things of that where the federal government does have the power to say, if you have this type of income, we can automatically enroll you in this program so you don't have to experience all these negative consequences of not having a handle on your student loans. But they're like, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> At this point and on the many administrations, that is correct. So you mentioned the refund. One question that came up a bunch in my research was, will my IRS refund go to my student loans? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So the federal government has a lot of power to get back their money when you owe them. So if you owe taxes, if you owe unemployment, they do not have to go through a court process to get a judgment to garnish your wages, your Social Security, and your IRS payments. So the borrowers who experience garnishing of their tax return are borrowers who are in default. Mm. Um, when you're in default, that is the point at which the federal government can use all its power to go into your bank account, to take from your wages, and to, to garnish your refund. The good news is, during this time of the pause until September 2021, all defaulted loans are considered in, in good standing at this time. So if anyone experiences a situation where they get a notice that their taxes fund is being held, I would encourage them to, to contact a nonprofit consumer lawyer program that can maybe help them get access to that. But at this time, it should, you should not be losing out on your refund because the pause for federal student loans takes care of student loans that are in default for this time. And what about stimulus checks or unemployment insurance? Okay, so the same applies for federal backed student loans, owned and backed student loans that are in forbearance or default. Those should not be garnished during the pause period. Oh, okay. But normally unemployment can be garnished? I'm not clear on unemployment, 
but I know that tax refunds, wages, and social security payments can be garnished. What do you know about Biden's platform on student loans? <laughs> so, of course, we had a presidential election and Biden, you know, is now our president. By Biden basically getting selected as the president, the electorate has basically chosen someone who is a more moderate person when it comes to student loan cancellation. So if you may have remembered during the primaries where different Democratic candidates were vying to be, be the presidential candidates, you had Bernie Sanders on the far left, like blow up the whole student loan system, forgive everything, and let's move on. Oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah. I recall those, those halcyon days. Yes. Then you had Elizabeth Warren, who had a $50,000 cap, and Biden was even more moderate. He has committed to forgiving 10000 in student loan balances for federal student loans, and he is being pushed by Elizabeth Warren, who is still a senator, to, to raise that cap, and, and other senators and congressmen and women, to, to actually move that cap up to 50000 which they purport that he has the power to do. So the most recent update on that, you know, Biden said he's not forgiving 50000 in student loan, federal student loans for borrowers. So he said that straight out. So as of now, what we know is that he has committed to $10,000 and with some strings attached as well. They would be for undergraduate student loan debt that was borrowed from the federal government. Hmm. You would have to use those loans at a public university and they cannot be used for graduate student loans, which actually make up most of federal student loan debt. Yep. So you can see where there's a lot of limitations on what Biden has actually committed to forgiving. And I haven't really heard much details on some of the proposals that I think would help the automatic enrollment in income-driven repayment, addressing the student loan forgiveness programs where you, you have to wait a decade or more to even see if you really jump through all the hoops. Yeah. I mean, during 2019 and probably into 2020, once the pandemic started, student loan total forgiveness has skyrocketed, I think, as an issue for people, even perhaps people that pre-pandemic didn't <laughs> didn't believe in it, all of a sudden believe in it. But like, it's just something that they're, they're just not willing to do. Like, why are they afraid to do it? So I think there's some concerns. Federal student loans are mostly made up of graduate student loan borrowing. And the reason for that is for undergraduate student loans, there's actually a limit on the total amount you can borrow from the federal government for a bachelor's degree. There's no such limit for graduate student loans. So when you go to graduate school and the school wants to charge $80,000 per year, the federal government says, hey, how about it? You have $80,000 a year to borrow, finish your degree program. The argument is that those with graduate degrees typically have higher incomes. And there's a hesitancy to forgive all student loans outright because, of course, in that type of forgiveness, there are going to be more inequalities built in, even though those with the lowest incomes for sure will benefit. But those with the highest incomes and who have benefited from the advanced degrees, who have economically benefited for themselves, 
you know, they will get the same forgiveness and they would have an even bigger benefit as well because they would have higher loans and now their higher income can just go to themselves. So that, there's some hesitancy there. Sure. But I think that has to do with like economic mobility. I think the people that maybe were low income who went to school where they needed to have you know, medical school or law school or whatever, in my opinion, they should be able to keep their, their money because I think it's not, I don't think it's rich people getting richer unless I'm wrong. So the inequality that is occurring here in student loan on those who got advanced degrees and are benefiting from them in their careers is not just a feature of student loans, it's a feature of the American economic system. So in my opinion, those who have the higher earnings are already benefiting from the student loan forgiveness program mm -hmm. because those who have completed their degrees or advanced degrees are actually the ones who are able to jump through the hoops and stay enrolled in income-driven repayment. Sure, yeah. Those with higher incomes who are in income-driven repayment can actually benefit more than a low-income person who has a zero-dollar payment because although a low-income person can access a zero-dollar payment for their student loans, that does not allow them access to higher income. It just says you don't have this extra bill. But those who have an income-based repayment for their federal student loans and have higher incomes, that actually allows them more access to the income that they're earning because the federal government is reducing the amount that they have to pay. Mm. So I highlight that to say that whether you forgive student loan debt across the board or keep the system at ease, it's still going to benefit those of the higher income. So you would have to focus efforts directly on low-income people with student loans. Yes, and that is where Biden and the current administration is trying to focus their efforts. That's one thing that he mentioned when he was responding to the question about forgiving student loans. He said, you know, he wants to focus on those who for example, have the highest default rates, which are those with lower incomes, those who weren't able to even finish the degree, so they couldn't benefit from the degree, mm -hmm. they didn't attain or graduate. However, they have the student loans from the time that they were enrolled in school. That is where the administration says they want their focus to be. But I think the takeaway is that this federal student loan system needs structural change. And whether you're for forgiveness or not, the inequalities are going to stay built in. So what are we going to do about it? Yeah. I mean, what are we going to do about it? <laughs> so in this discussion, we haven't talked about what is driving these high levels of debt. Mm -hmm. So what is driving these high levels of debt is the high cost of higher education. Currently, there are no caps on what universities can charge for the education when you enroll at university. Mm -hmm. Also, universities have no requirement of making sure that when students enroll in their schools and take on high levels of debt, there's no requirement or monitoring for them to make sure that the students that you have graduated who are saddled with high levels of debt to graduate from your school, you know, need to be able to earn enough income to pay off the loans within 10 years, which is kind of the standard affordability point is that if you graduate from a university or college with a degree and you are earning enough to take care of yourself and pay off your loans in 10 years, then that education was affordable and beneficial to you. Mm. Now, instead, the federal government said, 
hey universities, hey colleges, charge whatever you want. The students can borrow and if they can't pay back, hey, we'll extend it for 25 years and let them hope for forgiveness. So getting at the drivers of the costs is, is one place that needs to be addressed, which is the cost of education at colleges and universities. Huge. Yes. I would <laughs> scam is a harsh <laughs> word, but so a lot of people have asked about should they refinance or should they consolidate their loans? What what advice do you give? I'm so glad you brought that up, Gabby. So <laughs> let's first talk about what is refinancing and what is consolidation. So refinancing is replacing your current student loans with another loan that has a lower interest rate. So typically you don't refinance a student loan to get a higher interest rate. You are getting a benefit from the refinancing by replacing your student loans with another one that has a lower interest rate. Mm -hmm. Consolidation is a specific process for federal student loans where you are replacing your federal student loans that you have with another loan that is from the federal government and you don't get a lower interest rate. So I'll go back to refinancing first to talk about when you should consider that. So you should consider refinancing usually for your private student loans. Your private student loans don't have income-based repayment options. There are limits on how much forbearance you can get. And if you have a plan to pay them off, the fastest way to pay them off usually is to access a lower interest rate through refinancing. How do you do that? So basically, you look for a private bank. There are websites that you can go to check on what the rates are, what you may be eligible for. Websites like Credible, also Student Loan Hero, have different lenders that would allow you to estimate you know, what you can say by refinancing your student loans. However, the big caution is when you are looking into refinancing, be very careful of including your federal student loans in the refinancing, once your federal student loans are refinanced with a private lender, you lose access to any loan forgiveness mm. or forbearance or this automatic pause on payments and interest. You cancel all that out if you move your federal loans to a private lender through refinancing. And the trade-off is maybe you won't get those things, but you might have a significantly lower interest rate. That's correct. So Federal student loan interest rate is set by Congress. So where you could get an interest rate of 4% on a private student loan, you may be looking at an interest rate of 6 or 7% for your federal student loan. Mm -hmm. So that would be the benefit. So if you have a stable income, if you are already on track for retirement and you're in a place where, listen, whether my loans are private or federal, I have a plan to use my income to pay off my student loans. If you want to use your income and get the best bank for your buck, you can use refinancing to lower your interest rate and pay off your loans faster. What about consolidation? So consolidation is for federal student loans. How it benefits you as a federal student loan borrower, it's especially useful for student loan borrowers who have those federally backed bank owned student loans. Mm. So when you have these type of student loans, you are restricted on the types of student loan forgiveness and repayment plans you can access. And you're restricted from getting automatic pause and relief. But through consolidation directly through the federal government, which you can actually do that through studentaid.gov, 
you basically move your loans from those bank-owned federal loans into the direct loan program. And that opens up the ability for you to be eligible for public student loan forgiveness and more income repayment programs and forgiveness. So is it super individualized? Yes. And actually working with borrowers, I can tell you that many don't know what type of loans they have, what the interest rates are, whether they are variable or not, what the status is, who the student loan servicer is. Mm -hmm. So the first step is always to figure out, you know, what loans I have, what types they are, and where do they fall in the different student loan programs. I didn't do that for years. (laughs) (laughs) You and many, many people. (laughs) Right. I mean, my strategy was I found out what my loans were and then I attacked the one with the highest interest rate first. And I think that was super helpful. That's actually a great strategy when it comes to paying off your student loans. The one with the highest interest rate, it helps you save on the overall cost of your student loans when you start with the highest interest rate loan first to pay down. So before I let you go, what are some of your biggest tips and tricks? Because a lot of people are like, I simply do not have the money. So if you simply do not have the money, you should basically play defense and try to keep your loans in good standing through the programs that are available to you for federal student loans. So using the website to educate yourself, student aid gov or even my website yourmoneyworth.com to understand what are your options for your student loans and how can you minimize the payment or get your payment to zero if that's what you need to make sure that you can take care of your essentials. What about other people? What about people who are slogging through making the payments and just feel like there's no end in sight? So for those who are making the payments and are not in a position to just focus on paying them off, What I would say is make sure you, again, educate yourself about what your student loans, what student loans you have and the options to pay them off. If you have private and federal student loans, you should prioritize paying off your private student loans because they have less options or consider refinancing. But for federal student loans, understand how to keep your loans in good standing and in the best repayment plan for you. So when it comes to income-driven repayment, which allows you to not pay more than 20% of your disposable income towards your student loan so you can save for retirement, so you can take care of your family, so you can meet your housing needs. You need to understand what is required of you. Every year, you have to make sure you submit your taxes so that your income-based repayment plan can continue. If you're working towards public student loan forgiveness, understand what the requirements are, that your loans have to be indirect loans, that you have to stay enrolled in income-driven repayment and actually certify that you're employed by a public service sector. Keeping your loans on track is like the ongoing maintenance of your student loans. Yeah. Why is this your focus? So personally, I am actually from Sinkis in the Caribbean and I was an immigrant to the U.S., And the whole financial aid and student loan system was just a new world for me. I enrolled in a private university in Miami, and I was just figuring out, you know, how do I pay for my studies? And at the end of my first year at University of Miami, I realized I would be on track to have $100,000 in student loan debt if I completed four years at this university. So at that point, when I was a sophomore, I said, I need to get off 
of this path to $100,000 in debt. Mm -hmm. And the way that I did that is figured out how to find an equally good school to transfer to, apply for scholarships. And when I moved to Texas A&M, which was a public university, I actually started there with zero loans when I transferred. So this has kind of become a passion for me. I had not only federal student loans, I had private student loans, both from the U.S. and an international private student loan from the Caribbean. So once I graduated and was in the workforce, my tasks, my hobby, all my extra time was spent on figuring out how to pay them off, figuring out how the student loan repayment programs work here in the U.S., and I just started using my website as a platform to share that information and realize that this is a problem and knowledge that most graduates don't have and cause so many negative financial consequences for that. And I wanted them to have options. Where can people find out more about you and your work? They can find out about me at yourmoneyworth.com or if they follow me on Instagram at Melissa Buta. B-O-U-T-I-N, right? Correct. I'm Melissa with one S. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Hello, welcome to Dear Gabby, the segment where I read your emails or play your voicemails or voice memos or read your Apple reviews if you put in the Apple review that you would like it to be read on air. And if you leave it, five stars. You got to leave the show five stars. Okay. Hey, Gabby. It's Rachel from Connecticut. I'm a 33-year-old queer non-binary human. Just a real quick PSA for past me and also for anybody else who might be filing unemployment for the first time this year. Save your pennies because it turns out that when you take unemployment and even when you tell the government, hey, please take out all the taxes from my unemployment benefit, sometimes they don't take out all of it. Oh, no. Yes, that is very good advice. Thank you for calling in with that. In terms of also taxes, we got an email from a guy named Luke who said that for 2020 taxes, we do have a delayed filing season again this spring. And so after the episode with Sarah Al House came out, the filing deadline got moved to May 17th, which the news broke basically right as that episode was coming out. So thank you, Luke, for writing that in. Please, all your taxes, tips, and tricks, we want them. (laughs) So thank you for calling in. That is incredibly useful information. Okay, here's an email that we received. Hey, Gabby. In the beginning of today's episode, you mentioned that loans were on pause right now due to COVID. This is a different episode. This is an episode from the past. There's no way this person traveled to the future and knew about this episode. (laughs) So this is about a different episode last season. In the beginning of today's episode, you mentioned that loans were on pause right now due to COVID. This is totally true, but for a lot of us, that pause was detrimental to our credit health. I didn't hear you mention it in the pod, and I apologize if you've already heard about this. I have not. My servicer, Great Lakes, submitted information to the major credit bureaus that dropped credit scores for millions of people. Something in the way they coded COVID forbearance looked like a derogatory mark. I was in the middle of applying for a loan, refinancing my very dumb car loan, and my score suddenly dropped 26 points. I was denied the loan. To make matters worse, I then got a mark on my credit for having applied, which would have been fine if I'd gotten approved, but since I didn't, it was like a knockout punch. 
had to file complaints against Great Lakes and the three bureaus with CFPB to get my score back up. And it's still not back to where it was. Had I not filed a complaint, I'm not entirely sure I'd have heard anything from Great Lakes. Here are some articles about it and the class action lawsuit, which everyone who was impacted should definitely join if they can. And then I'll put these links in the description of the episode. Thanks for all you do, Jen. Wow. Okay. Well, I think if this has happened to you, please check and make sure and do all the calls and all the research and all the looking because you want to be on top of this, even though it is incredibly annoying. So thank you for writing that in, Jen. Okay, here's another email. Hi, Gabby. My name is Heather, and I'm a huge fan of Bad With Money. Thank you for all that you do. Oh, Heather. My crisis experience is similar to others in that I have been working a steady job, and suddenly I was furloughed. This has changed the way I've been working towards saving money for future Heather, the way I've been able to shop the amazing sales going on right now, and the way I feel in terms of security because everything is so uncertain. I love your mention of sales. I have been furloughed since early April and have been fighting the Florida unemployment system. After weeks of trying, I finally got through and started to receive payments. Fortunately, I'm a huge saver, so this crisis has been stressful because I did not know when I would receive unemployment benefits. However, having several months of savings that I have been building for years has helped me feel most in control of my current situation. I cannot even imagine how some people must be struggling with very little in savings. I am now thankful for the number of times I told myself to put the $30 I was going to spend on shoes into my savings account instead. Another way I've been able to use money to feel more in control is choosing to spend my money on the activities I can do instead of using it on items I can buy. For instance, I would much rather spend money on parking for a day at the beach than buy takeout food or a new top online. Additionally, I've been reducing costs where I can to preserve my savings. Lastly, the one thing I have been ensuring that I can make happen is paying on my federal student loans. When I make payments right now, it is going directly to paying down the principal instead of just paying on the interest. And I know that is something future Heather will appreciate. If you made it this far, thank you for taking the time to read my message. Happy and healthy wishes, Heather. So Heather is very smart and very privileged in terms of what she's able to do, not in terms of any knowledge that I have of Heather's actual situation, but just in terms of what she's been able to do during the pandemic. So good job, Heather. And I wanted to include this email because it it does make mention of student loans and it does give the very good advice that if you can pay down the principal instead of just paying on the interest and go look at your student loans and see what you are actually paying down on. Because sometimes you're just paying off the interest and you're really not getting anything done in terms of paying off the loan. So go in, look at your student loan situation and really just, I mean, it sucks. It truly sucks. It sucks having to do all this research. It sucks, you know, everything Melissa and I talked about above, about making sure that these programs that you're like thought that you were automatically opted into, you're actually not opted into. So really, I can't stress enough needing to read through everything and make sure that you are all set to go. And so the thing that Heather recommends here at the end is another really great thing that you should do. Okay, five stars. JChinaDoll206 writes, Stepping Stone. This was the first financial podcast I listened to. Thanks to Gabby, I found YNAB, which is You Need a Budget, and ChooseFi, and changed my financial future. I have paid off 12K in property taxes debt, 22K in consumer debt, and am no longer living paycheck to paycheck. Oh, 
my God, that makes me want to cry. Whenever somebody has taken a tangible step because of this show, I, I just feel so honored. Money is a production of the Westwood One Podcast Network. Our show is produced and edited by Lindsay Floyd and sound engineered and mixed by Joey Salvia. The supervising producer is Lindsay Floyd and the executive producer is John Wardock. Theme song was performed by Sam Barbera and written by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen. Additional music by Joey Salvia. I'm Gabby Dunn and I will talk to you next Wednesday. Done.